Our scripture today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And it says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than in what is in heart. For we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the home that you created for us in heaven. And Lord, this home that we are in right now is not our true home. Our true home is with you, Lord. And Lord, help us to see through Mike today what you have intended for us here and in our true home. God, speak through him. Speak your truth and your love. And Let him preach your word. God, in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. So glad to be here with you to be able to preach the everlasting gospel with you. And I want to lead into that with a couple of announcements. Uh, Next week at this service, so you might want to uh, remind those that aren't here today that you might want to invite to come alongside with you. We're going to have a a special moment in worship where we uh, deconsecrate uh, a portion of our sanctuary that we're moving to our other building. It's Veterans Day this week, so we've taken the plaque that was in the narthex for 60 years that commemorates the 12 men from Marian Methodist that perished in World War II. And we're going to uh, take that with us for the memory wall at the new building, but we thought this would be the appropriate time uh, to pray and deconsecrate that. So we hope that you'll um, invite veterans, others, your friends that are part of this congregation to come for that special moment. It will only happen at the 830 service next week on Veterans Weekend, so we hope that you'll come. Um, You've seen the We Are On The Move sign. It's so fun driving around town seeing We're On The Move signs. And I want to tell you that we we still have a a big handful of them left. So if you want some, they're out in the hall. They're downstairs. They're free. Take one with you. And my, my We Are On The Move plug today is pray, 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 pray. 
pray for all that is coming. You've heard the announcement about the prayer wall. We ask you to do that. And as we go on the move, there's always a lot of questions that we have some answers for. Um, today and every first Sunday uh, moving forward, the building committee will be in the uh, chapel for, at 9.45 and then again at 11 to answer questions, any that you might have or at least research those for you about the new buildings. And this morning specifically, they're going to present the uh, narthex space, the, the, the new gathering space that just by way of image is a little bit bigger than the room you're in. Uh, so you might want to know uh, how that all is going to function and be used. So it'll be in the chapel at 945. Come and we have some pictures now, artist renditions of how we might use that. So we hope you'll come. All right, let's go. I'm Pastor Mike. I am not wearing a suit today. See, if you didn't laugh, you weren't here last week. Attendance taken, check. Is community, as we go into our our sermon, is community time, place, space, or people? See, this is simple Christian theology today. Community lasts a long, long time. And it eliminates time as far as community because time is always passing. You, You know, you can say we're having this community, this wonderful community in the team we're in right now or in the group I'm in right now, but that time passes and no longer does that community last any longer. And we might say, well, community is a place. Come and see the community of our place. But I I would ask you this, and this congregation at 8.30 might know some of these places. How many of you have been to the Marion A&W ever? Ah, see, some of you have been around. How many of you under 60 have been to the Marion A&W? Yeah, just a few of us. As it's been gone a long time, there's been a McDonald's sitting there for about 40 years. That's where it was. How many of you grew up or as an adult enjoyed swimming at the Marion American Legion pool in Thomas Park, where the pool always was and is supposed to be, right? It hasn't been there in a long time. That, 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 that we can't say, oh, that, that, that community is a place. I'll give you one, one more chance. How many of you spent a Saturday afternoon in your life at the Marion Movie Theater? Yeah, there you go. Long gone. Burned down, rebuilt, went broke, came in lawyer office, now it's a theater again, right? See, we can't say that community is, is a place because places come and, and go. And we also can't say that, that the community is in a space because then I have to say to myself, is my community Marion or Mount Pleasant or Denver or Colorado Springs or Cedar Ridge, Colorado or Webster City or Marion again? Because places, we have many. No, community is always where your people are. Community is where your people are. That's what community is. And the community of faith has its base outside of time and space. That's, that's the, the contention for today. That the community of, of, of faith has its base outside of time and space. The earthly tent, that's our bodies, are transient. They come and they go. They last just for a little while. Thomas Hobbes said... Life is nasty, brutish, short. How's that feel to you? Life is nasty, brutish, short. And we say, well, if all life is is the time we spend in this earthly tent, then it is indeed. 
I love a favorite quote of someone I know real well. He's a Catholic from the other side of, of Cedar Rapids, my friend Dan Malloy, who used to always say, we aren't here long, but we're going to have a good time while we're here. Life is short. Or, you've probably seen it, the phrase, life is short, and then it's filled in by something appropriate to where you're at by any t-shirt ever. Life is short, so go to the beach, right? Life is short, so go to the mountains. Life is short, so drink cerveza or whatever it is, or drink Coca-Cola. Life is short. But Jesus says, that's wrong. That's not correct. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You see, right now, right now, While we live in these earthly tents, the human body, we groan and we're burdened because life is better elsewhere. Life is better somewhere else. Where it's recorded in Acts of the Apostles in chapter 17. For he has set a time when he will judge the world. Understand this. He will judge the world. It doesn't say he might come along. Or it's possible that God might judge the world. It says in the definitive, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. That's where our proof is at. So you know this. There's no immortality in the body. At death, we discard it. And to that, I say thank you, because this one keeps getting older and more broken down. I have less hair today than when I started yesterday, amen? That's mean to give me an amen to that. I'm just kidding. Sorry, Larry, you know what I'm saying. But but we don't want these bodies forever, do we? If I I get a body, I want the 21-year-old version of me. Had hair, muscles... All the right teeth still. But at, but at death, you see, we, we discard the body, but we do not discard our e- eternal personality. Our personality is here forever. So you see, that's to say that in the meantime, this is what the scripture says, in the meantime, we're away from the Lord. We're, we're away from where we want to be, which is to say our community is somewhere else. Our, our people are in some other place. And what the scripture said that Kelsey read a few moments ago is that the house of heaven is our promised eternal community. The house of heaven is our promised eternal community. No longer are we away. Now we're home with the Lord. See, the longing to put on our heavenly body is not a death wish. You know, the Greeks used to say, I want to get rid of my body. I want, to, I, I want to not have that anymore. I just want to live in the ethereal thought process. I want to be far from, from here. But it's not a death wish when we say in the, in the Christian community, it, it's a longing for us to be in Christ's kingdom. It's our intuitive home. It's the place that we know somehow deep down within us that that's where we need to be. That's where we always wanted to be. We, we long to be with our people. We, we long to be with our community forever. That's why in verse 5 it says this, that there's a deposit. Re- read that carefully at home someday. There's a deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. A deposit of the Holy Spirit. T- just a little bit. 
put in there. Not, not the whole full measure, but there's just a little bit of the Holy Spirit put in you. And, and, and it's intuitive that we want to be somewhere else. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. There's something within us that we know there's a beyond here. And for some reason, we intuitively know there's a better beyond here. In in the scriptures, Kelsey read just a few moments ago, it says, we are fashioned. That means made for, you know, like like, like a sculptor. We are fashioned for eternity. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible, it tells us all this stuff, and you come and you say, oh my gosh, all this talk about heaven, do do we have, and then the Bible says, and you will say, you're out of your mind. I I love that the Bible answers the questions of the world around you. When you talk about heaven, when you talk about things you cannot see, someone's going to say to you, are you out of your mind? Are you absolutely out of your mind? Well, Hebrews says in chapter 1, or chapter 11, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, in the assurance, in what we do not see. There's an awful lot going on out there that you and I cannot see, but we know exists. So when someone comes to you and says, are you out of your mind? The appropriate answer is yes. But it's deeper than the first blush. Are you out of your mind? Yes, I'm out of my mind. Because the mind I desire to be in is not my own. I desire to live in God's eternal mind. I, I, I desire to live in a mind that's perfect, not broken like mine. I desire to, to, to live in a faultless mind, not, not, not a mind that, that's faulty like mine and breaks down and forgets people's names and forgets where I'm going when I walk downstairs to get something. You have that, right? I desire to be outside of my mind. I love to be in a mind that's sinless, not sinful. I would like to be in a mind that doesn't end, that doesn't fall down. Yeah, I'm out of my mind because I want to be in his mind, in his will, in his way. I want to be in that communal mind, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that, 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 that has no flaw or blemish. Hebrews 11 says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. He said it. It happened. So that what is seen was not made out of the visible. That's our home. That's our community. See, we do all this heaven talk. And and I know sometimes, especially if you're a visitor today, you say, man, I went to church. All they talk about heaven. Well, we actually don't talk about it that much. But it is part of our Christian faith. It is an important part of our Christian faith. That to understand that we long to be in a community. In a community that is forever with the triune God, which the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God that has three personalities, we long to be in that community. And with, as Mother Teresa says, the millions. We long to be with the millions who loved and lived for Christ long before we arrived. We long to be in that community because it's not transient. It's heavenly and it's eternal. We long to be in that community of the millions who loved him and lived for him long before we arrived. The millions in the community. And they're all in the community, every single one of the million, because they were included and they were invited and someone brought them along. 
So we have a responsibility, and the scripture that we read gives, it, gives us to it. Here's our responsibility. Persuasion is the key to the eternal community. See, there's this opportunity in the sense that the community is not closed. You know, if you ever went to middle school or junior high back in my day, you always felt there was closed communities. You, 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 you got to lunch late or something like that. You got your lunch tra- tray and you turned to that big mass of people sitting in the gym or the cafeteria at your school and you thought, oh my gosh, there's not a single seat for me. Did you have that? Were you as socially awkward as I was? Thank you for some of you admitting it along with me. But, but we felt like the world was close to us and that the things that we kind of wanted to be a part of, that the teams and all those kind of things were closed. They had a door that was open and closed, but it was closed to most of us. And we have to understand that we're the ones that give opportunity because every single one of the millions that are in the heavenly kingdom right now were included because someone opened a spot for them. And part of the way we open is we need to understand that many people in the world today are open to persuasion. I I know I'm open to persuasion. Years ago, one of my favorite cars I had was a Volkswagen Jetta, 2004 Volkswagen Jetta. Bought it brand new. Man, it had pop. It had turbo. It would go. I loved it. But like so many cars, or maybe all the cars I've ever owned since I've had children, mama has a car. And then daddy gets that car when it's a certain age. And then that one gets a certain age. And then dad's car goes to kid car. You have that? Did you have that? So by this time, that car moved down to kid car. So little Sarah, who was 20 years old or 21, got that car. And she went down to a place in Kansas City with that 2004 Jetta. And she was driving across Kansas City. And this horrific warning came on in the digital thing that says, pull over, car's going to explode, or something like that. That's how she portrayed it. That's how she portrayed it to me. I don't know if VW actually has that in there. But it said, you need to be in a garage right now. And so she was in Kansas City. I mentioned that, right? So she was 20, so she had the ability, intellectual ability, to get it to a VW place. And I called them, or they called me, and they said, well, we've come to what you need. You've got 135,000 miles on this car. You need a new engine. I says, is that the only solution? And they said it was. And I got with Volkswagen of America, and they had told me how, because there was this certain problem that we were supposed to prevent by doing a certain thing, and we did that certain thing all the way through the life of the car, and still the engine failed, and they weren't going to stand up to it, so I had to get a new engine. Did I tell you it was in Kansas City? Yeah. And so I got a sight unseen. I didn't get to deal with anybody. I got a new engine and paid a couple grand for that. I mean, you guys all know that, that how that goes. And when I got that car back and I got that beloved child back to me, I said to myself, when that goes to buying cars, I am never going to buy another in my life. Anybody see what I drive now? Now I got a little Volkswagen Jetta sitting out there because I was, I, I, someone was able to persuade me. You see, over the period of time, uh, something about them got better. And I, boy, I wanted a Mazda or a Toyota when I went out shopping for cars. But I had a few friends saying, oh, I got a Jetta. I love it. It's like it. It's really nice. You know, blah, 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 blah. And because they, they were getting a lawsuit because of their diesel engines, their prices were plummeting. And I all of a sudden thought to myself, I went in and met with a kid that, you know, was apparently an expert at VWs, and he persuaded me. We're open to persuasion about things in our lives, aren't we? Because I swore I would never want a Volkswagen again in my life. 
And, and here I am, seven years later, driving one. We're, we're, when people are persuasive, sometimes our minds, our hearts change. When I was, had the opportunity to teach at Simpson College years and years ago, I had a little girl in my co- uh, class. She was from Prairie High School here in Cedar Rapids. And I remember her coming into my class. She was a sophomore. And she told me, one thing I know about this class is I need a new grade. I, I need a good grade. She's a biology major or something like that. She wants some humanities class ruiner. But we had these certain set of, you know, small liberal arts college. You have a certain set of required classes you have to take. So she, she thought she took the easiest one, Religion 112 Jesus. From Chaplain Mike, who was going to teach her Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But she made it really clear. She was in there for the grade. She didn't want to get stumbled by this thing. And God, Bible, Jesus were not something that had been in her home as she was being raised up. But guess what? As the semester went on and she worked hard to get good grades on that to not mess up her grade, she started learning a little bit more about Jesus. She started asking people about Jesus. And then, probably to Brown knows the teacher, she started coming to campus worship to hear preaching. And to hear music. And then she got into a Bible study because Marcy thought it would help her get ahead on her grades. And it did. But then, about 25 years ago this week, she walked into my class, 12.30 in the afternoon on a Wednesday, tears running down her cheeks, walked up to me before the class started when only about three people were in the room and said, what do I have to do to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? I said, kneel right down there and I'll pray. She did and I did. And now she's one of the most fantastic disciples you'd ever come into, but she was persuaded. She wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ or the religion that he sits atop of or the community that he's the leader of. But she was persuaded by, by friends in her dorm, by girls on her volleyball team, by people at campus worship, by reading the scripture. You see, persuasion is the key to the eternal community, and you have opportunity. In, 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 one, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we, we read just a few moments ago, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard. Now, careful, there's a question following this. We work hard to persuade others. Are we? Are we working hard? Are we working hard to persuade others? See, we have this responsibility. We have this responsibility to work hard to persuade others. Now, please don't understand that I'm asking you to run out to Tyson's somewhere this afternoon and buy a bullhorn so you can stand outside next week's Rough Rider game and say, believe in Jesus Christ, or, or, or that you need to start banging people with the Word of God. I, I don't believe that helps. Maybe it's your call. If it is, do it. But I don't believe that helps. But what I do help think believe helps when you talk about responsibility is first you have to have a sense of urgency. You have to be willing to throw your whole self into this, to to use your gentleness, to use your guile, to use your caring, to persuade others to come to Christ. But just use what you have. Don't don't go out and get a bunch of new resources. You know, we've been putting these things out here all all week, all, all, all month. You know, we, we put the Bible out here when we gave our second grade Bibles, actually at the end of September, to, to remind you that the, 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 the Bible is the pathway to salvation. And so, Study it. Use what you know to persuade others. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we put the, the two pictures out here to, to help you understand that, that, that our lives on, on their own are kind of broken and that Christ offers us a new life. We put the mirror out here because sometimes we spend so much time staring at ourselves 
that we forget to see the people past us, the ones that were to persuade to Christ. Last week, Simon did, I think, a fabulous job, and I've heard a lot of sermons in my life, and that was a good one. He did a fabulous job sharing with us how we're given this secret, this, this eternal secret that, that, of our faith, and it's an exclusive secret. It's a truth that's exclusive, but it's to be shared, not kept to ourselves. And a month ago today, and, and today we put the, the, the cup of salvation on the altar, re- reminding us that salvation comes from the Lord. And, and a few weeks ago we put this door up here, which is kind of a big thing. I f- hope you noticed it. But we put the door up here. I don't want my, my uh, examples to go without being seen. But we put a door up here for a couple reasons. To remind you that a door, when it's closed, is a wall. And that you as Christians have the opportunity and the responsibility to stand in the door, to open the door, to welcome people into the door, to be their guides, to be their stewards, to show them the way that leads to life eternal by simply saying, there's an opening for you. Come on in. Because remember, when you walk away from the door, you take your hand off the the handle, it becomes a wall again. And today I, I put a clock up here. We're all thinking about clocks. That's why you're so attentive today is because you have that extra hour of sleep and you say, man, with that extra hour of sleep, I can be so ready for the presentation of the gospel this morning. Amen? That's the appropriate time to say amen. Thank you. But I put a clock up here. We were all thinking about clocks today to remind us that time is ours. But time is not to be wasted. Time is to be used. And the only guaranteed time we ever have is the time we're in right now. Yesterday, not a single thing we can do about. Tomorrow, no guarantee. But the time that we're given right now is the moment that we have to witness. So live your life. Live for Christ who died for us and spend your lifetime pleasing Him. Spend your time, spend your your life, all of your life, pleasing Christ. See, the goal is to live and love and work together with the millions that preceded us and that are here now and invite millions, one at a time, into that eternal kingdom, that heavenly home. So this morning, we come to Holy Communion. We're not going to let anything abate us from getting to this table. We celebrate the heavenly house in our eternal community, the, the house that Christ gives us. And, and we come and when we, when we grab the bread and, and dip it into the cup, we're strengthened for our responsibility to use our lifetime for living for Christ. And I pray and I, I admonish you to be inspired and to embrace and engage in the opportunity of persuading friends, relatives, neighbors, acquaintances to join with us and the millions in the eternal community. There's a praise song that we sometimes sing at some of our other services that says, this world has nothing for me. I will follow you. And you heard the call of the choir this morning that shows us that we reach beyond this world to the one that lasts forever. Because one thing we know about, we know that this earthly house, this earthly tent, doesn't last forever. But we do have a heavenly place. And I invite you to it. Now this morning we're going to take Holy Communion in a way that we frequently do. The instructions are simply this. When we get to the moment of communion, we'll take intinction through the side aisles. At this service, the ushers will guide you to that. There will be a station where the offering plates are, of course. 
where, where there's a place for the bread, and with your own hand you take the bread from the tray, then dip it in the cup, and then if you would, come towards the center. Pray at the altar as long as you can. We have ample time and space today. And, and then return to your seats, if you would, all of you, regardless of where you're seating, through the center aisle. Um, when we uh, institute the elements, these at my feet will also be instituted. They're for those that uh, are served by our homebound communion team, and you know if you're on that team to grab one if you go. And as the slide says, if you're new among us, if you're just visiting, please understand that this is for you. Um, we're not creedal in the United Methodist Church, so if uh, Christ is yours and you are Christ, then, then this is for you. Come and eat and drink at your Lord's table. I'm going to ask you as we go to our liturgy today to find those blue hymnals again. Uh, turn to page 13 in the United Methodist Hymnal. It won't be on the screens. You'll need it in your hands. And we will turn to that portion on page 13 that's called the Great Thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and in all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymns, saying together, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night which he gave himself up for us, he took bread gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from all this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts of salvation in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim together the mystery of faith, Christ is dying, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, through your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let us pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. My name is Alex Musman. I've been attending Marion Methodist now for about the last six years. Uh, my wife Sarah and my young daughter Harper and I would tend to um, stick to the 945 service. Sometimes it's the 952 service. Depends on the day. Um, I've been serving on the stewardship and finance committee now for the last two years. Uh, this last year I've been serving as the chair. A um, little bit of that involves um, setting up meetings, those types of things, um, communications between SPRC staff and um, setting up budgets and those types of things. In the Old Testament, it talks about uh, giving the first fruits and not giving our leftovers. Um, the simple analogy that I think of is uh, when you invite friends over, um, whether it be family, whoever, on a Sunday evening, you know, you wouldn't just go dig around, you know, last minute and find what you had in the back there. You wouldn't find the meatloaf from Thursday. You'd go out and you'd actually buy a nice meal. In the same manner, you know, with our giving, we should deliberately think about how we're going to give to God. Um, and not only that, but we should have, you know, joy within our hearts when we're thinking about how we're going to give. Um, because it's important uh, to give cheerfully, not just because we feel obligated that we should. Um, you know, we want this to be a natural thing for everybody. We want people to stop and to pray and think about what God's asking them for. The purpose of the stewardship campaign is um, to really to serve as a reminder um, that we're called to give our gifts to God, um, and then also um, serve as a reminder that where we spend our time and our money is really, um, you know, an indication of where we put our values at and whether we're actually putting our values towards God. One of the things that I'd like to discuss with you guys today is um, the insert that we have in the bulletin where we're going to go over each of the different line items that we have within our budget and give you a little bit of description of everything in there. We have four large areas within our budget. We have our staff, we have our apportionments, we have our programs, and then we have our buildings that we have to take care of. Between these items and some others, this makes up well over a million dollar budget. I ask three things of you today. First, I ask that you continue to pray for Marian Methodist. Secondly, I ask that you look into your own hearts and think deeply about what it is that God's calling for you. And lastly, I'd ask that you look at the gifts that God has given you and prayerfully consider what it is that you should be giving back to Marian Methodist.